is the big day. And I encourage you all to go and exercise your right to vote. And as you go to vote, may I ask that you do it after much prayer. And as you pray, you pray, Lord, have thine own way. Have thine own way in my life, in my family's life. Have thy own way in this nation. Have your own way in this world. The one thing for certain, regardless of what happens on Tuesday, we're never going to stop praising the Lord Jesus Christ for who He is. Amen? Regardless of who sits in the White House, we know who sits on the great white throne. Amen? That He's in charge. And our faith and our trust is in Him and His will be done. This morning I'm thankful that He has saved me, that I belong to Him, and that my citizenship literally is in heaven. And as we think about that, I want to remind you of this. We are not citizens here waiting to go to heaven. We're citizens of heaven waiting to go home. And I just hope and pray that that puts joy and excitement in your heart to know that God's in charge. We can faithfully, lovingly trust in Him. But knowing that our citizenship is in heaven brings gladness, but I'm also glad to know and thankful that I can have a voice in this upcoming election. I am thankful this morning that I can take a stand for truth and for righteousness, and I can have an influence in who my elected leaders are going to be, and that I can take a stand for biblical principles. And I encourage you to go and do that, for I believe that we, as the body of Christ, would be remiss if we missed an opportunity to take a stand for truth and righteousness in such a lost and dark world. Amen? Actually, I look at voting as a way that I can strike that single solitary match that I have for truth, for goodness. And that's what I plan on doing. So be praying for this country. Be praying for one another. And as we pray for this election, let me encourage you to be praying for revival. Pray for revival. Pray for an awakening. And we need to make a distinction. A revival is what takes place within the church. There will not be an awakening until there is revival in the church. And I'm going to explain this morning why that's true. But we need to be praying for a revival. And then as we pray for a revival in the church, we need to pray for an awakening among the lost. 
But folks, I'm not sure that a revival is coming without at least a lot of persecution to begin with. I'm almost certain that in order for revival to come, and we all say we pray for revival, but in order for revival to come, I believe there's going to have to be persecution because I'm not sure what we really want is revival or do we want to be comfortable? Do we want to be comfortable? Do we seek the lost or are we just afraid of what we might lose? Christ did not die for the status quo. And I'm so afraid that that's what many believers are praying for when they pray for revival, is they're praying for the status quo. We long for the good old days. But let me ask you a question. In the good old days, did we feel an urgency to tell the old, old story of Jesus and His love? Did we? In the old, old days, in the good old days, did we share an urgency or do we have an urgency to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? For it is the power of God unto salvation. You know what I'm finding is that in the good old days, and in, that was just last year. But in the good old days, we talked about everything except the good news of Jesus Christ. Not very often did we share what Christ has done for us. Not very often, and this is more important, because people do not get saved by hearing what Christ has done for you. They get saved by, by hearing and believing what Christ has done for them. We need to keep that ever in mind. Perhaps it's going to take perilous times for the church to go from the cruise ship that it's been to the battleship it needs to be in order for revival to sweep across this land. Do we understand that? For too many years the church has been a cruise ship. It has been entertainmentville and not the church, the body of Christ it's telling the lost that Christ died for their sins. What we need to keep in mind, and I know that I say this, and maybe I say it far too often, but Romans chapter 10, verse 17, tells us, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So if there's going to be revival, what do people need to hear? They need to hear the Word of God. But maybe they don't hear because we don't tell. Does that make sense? And I don't mean to shake my finger, but that's just coming to that point. I'm not shaking my finger at any of you. I'll shake my finger out this way. Unless I thought it might do some good to shake it that way. Maybe the people don't hear because we don't tell. And if faith comes by hearing, 
We're in dire straits. 2 Corinthians 4.4 tells us that it is Satan who has blinded, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of them which believed not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. As we go forth, and that sign's out there that says you're now entering the mission field, when you walk through that door, you are stepping into the mission field. We need to understand that our enemy has blinded the eyes of those who believe not. Why does he do that? So that they will not believe the glorious gospel. But it is the gospel that's the power of God into salvation. And who is the greatest? Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. So just because Satan blinds the eyes, blinds the minds, doesn't mean that the gospel of Christ Jesus is not going to shine forth and take effect in their lives. I have no idea what this election is going to bring this week. I have no idea which new challenges. I don't know what new trials. I don't know what new blessings that the election is going to bring this week. But regardless of what this election brings. I will continue to be a watchman on the wall. We will continue to stand for truth. We'll continue to preach the Word of God without compromise, without surrender. And a change in administration is not about to change our message. Amen? But my real concern... My real concern this morning is that the church has lost its zeal. That the church over the last many, many years has become smug and cozy and satisfied in its comfort zone. And there are too many preachers, too many people out there, too many Christians that are ready to scream who to vote for, but they're reluctant to whisper who to believe in. Did you hear that? We're ready to scream who to vote for, but we're reluctant to whisper who saves. You want to know why we're in the shape we're in today as a nation? That's the reason. If faith comes by hearing and the church is not telling, then people aren't hearing and they are being led astray by the enemy who hates them. This morning I want us to look at a parable in the Gospel of Luke. And this parable, I think, is the perfect example of what's going on even in the church, the body of Christ. It just kind of shows you that regardless of which dispensation you're in, man is sort of the same no matter since the garden. But I think we can glean some extremely important principles from this parable that Christ teaches in Luke chapter 15. And I think it speaks volumes about what all is going on in this nation today. Not only this nation, but around the world, folks. 
Look with me to Luke chapter 15. In this parable, our Lord points out the attitude of the religious leaders of the day. And as we go through this, understand that what he is telling the religious leaders, the so-called spiritual ones, he's saying, here's what your attitude should be, but here's what your attitude is. And if there's a message that the church, the body of Christ needs to hear today, it is, this is what your attitude should be, but I'm afraid this is what it is. I haven't preached this in years, but boy, does it fit today as we look around and ask ourselves, why no revival? Why such turmoil? Why such civil unrest? Why such apostasy in the church? Why are we so close to the end of this present dispensation? I think it's, we can glean some truth, or glean truth, from Luke chapter 15. It's the story of the prodigal son. Now, as we get into this, understand this. The word prodigal simply means wasteful. That's what the word prodigal, when we think of the prodigal son, we think of an evil, wicked, bad, bad, bad boy. Well, being wasteful is, but the word prodigal itself simply means that this kid was wasteful, and he did some really stupid things. But I'm not going to present the story of the prodigal son in the traditional manner. Because I don't think that's what Christ was teaching. I mean, there, we're going to look at the prodigal son. Praise, praise God he came to his senses. Praise God that the father received him back. But the emphasis should not be on the prodigal son. The emphasis needs to be on the eldest brother and what his attitude was about the fact that his brother had turned himself around. Because I'm telling you, folks, we live in a time when it is, it just, I was going to say irks me because it does irk me, but it surprises me the number of believers who almost are giddy and gleeful talking about people that they know are going to die and go to hell. And, gonna, and it's almost as if they did, they, they've determined they deserve that punishment and judgment. Well, that person can't possibly be saved. Why, they don't dot the I's and cross the T's the way I do. Man, I hear that all the time. But I think the key to understanding the story of the prodigal son is understanding the attitude of the oldest brother. Luke chapter 15, starting with verse 1. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And John 7 verse 46 tells us that they heard Christ. And what did they say? No man ever spoke like this man. No man ever spoke like this man. They're recognizing that here. And folks, let me tell you what the Lord Jesus is not doing here. He is not condoning their sin, but he is reaching out to the lost. He's not telling them it's okay to sin. He's telling them the truth of what they need to do to have that relationship 
with God. He drew near to him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious leaders, the so-called spiritual ones of the day, they murmured, saying, This man receives sinners. He eats with them. He eats with them. that sound familiar today? Boy, their attitude was such that you shouldn't have anything to do with that sinner. And folks, let me tell you something. We will never condone sin, but we will tell someone who's lost that God forgives sin. We'll stand against their sin, but we will stand with that individual to make sure they hear the glorious gospel that Christ died for their sin. He was buried. He rose again. He can make a new creation out of them. All they have to do is believe. We will continue to preach that until God takes the final breath out of me. And then the rest of you can step up and be talking, saying it. The Pharisees and Sadducees murmured, saying, This man, he received sinners. Yep. You betcha he did. Aren't you glad this morning that Christ looked beyond your fault? Faults. And he saw your need. And he spake this parable unto them, saying. He's about to tell them what their attitude. These Pharisees, Sadducees, he's about to tell them what their attitude should be. What their thinking should be. But he's going to end up telling them, here's what your attitude is. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he finds it? He searches. He looks for it. Until he finds that lost sheep. As a matter of fact, what should have been happening at this point with these Pharisees, these scribes, who they're supposed to know the Word of God, they should have gone, wow, Ezekiel 34. That's what Ezekiel 34 says is going to happen. That's what Ezekiel 34 says that the Messiah is going to do. Hey, this guy, is, is he the Messiah? See, that's what should have happened. He starts talking about shepherd and, and those that want to save that 90, that one out of a out of hundred. And when he, verse 5, and when he has found it, he layeth it on his shoulders rejoicing, glad. He's happy. That sheep is safe. That sheep is going to be back in the fold. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying unto unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. He's excited. He is so excited that he wants to make sure that all of his friends and his family say, Look what's been found. Verse 7, I say unto you, that likewise joy shall be in heaven 
over one sinner that repenteth. More than over 99 just persons which need no repentance. Now remember, repentance doesn't mean sorry for your sin. It doesn't mean confessing your sin. Repentance means you recognize the direction you're going. Whoa, that's not pleasing to God. And you go turn around and go back. That's what repentance is. Repentance is changing direction. And this is what God desires. We get an inkling, we get a view into the heart and longing of God. When it talks about this sinner whose direction has changed. He gives another parable of a lost coin. I really have never hunted for a sheep, but boy, I've hunted for a lot of coins, so I can relate to this. Verse 8. Either what woman, having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, doth not let a light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it. Why? Because that piece of silver is important. It means something to her. It has value. And when she hath found it, she calls her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice for, with me, for I have found the piece which I had lost. The whole point of these two parables is that reaching out to the lost, that which is lost, and finding it is exactly what Christ was doing as He invited the sinners, as He invited the publicans to Him. He was reaching out to them. But these Pharisees didn't see it. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. You want to know how important it is to God? You want to know how important it is to heaven? When, when the angels are being joyous. You know why I think that's so? Because they know what it costs God Himself. They know what it cost him. But he wasn't finished. The Lord wasn't finished. Verse 11. And he said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into the far country, and there wasted, that's where he gets the name prodigal, and wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and he joined himself to a citizen of that country and he sent him unto the fields to feed the pigs. Kind of shows you how far down the tubes this Jewish boy had fallen when he's out 
feeding hogs. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, but no man gave unto him. You talk about reach the bottom of the barrel. This kid had reached the bottom of the barrel. And he was willing to eat the slop that the pigs were eating in order just to sustain himself. But glory be to God. He came to himself, verse 17. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to eat and spare, and I perish with hunger? Now, as we look at the prodigal son, certain things jump out at you. Number one, he was sorrowful. He was repentant. He was courageous. And he humbled himself. That's what sent him back to his father. But I read this and I I wonder sometimes, would he have become that way had he not fallen on such hard, difficult times? You ever thought about that? What if he'd have saved his money and he had done something differently with it and not fallen on such hard times? See, sometimes the difficult times and the troubles and trials we find ourselves in, come along in order order for us to look up to God and say, God, I can't do this without you. That emptiness, that need, only you can feel. That want, only you can feel. See, sometimes with all the blessings and with all the things that, that, that we have really get in the way of that relationship that God wants us to have with Him when He just says, hey, look to me. So I, I praise God. I, I think it was a blessing for God to bring this guy to this point in his life. So he came to himself. Hallelujah. Verse 18, I will arise and go to my father, and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. Wow, talk about repentance Talk about confession. Talk about getting right with his father. That's what was happening here. He'd already worked it up. He'd already said, this is what I'm going to do. In his heart, that decision had already been made. He's going to tell his father, I am no more worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And not only did he pray it, he jumped up and went and did something about it. And he arose and he came to his father. (laughs) He didn't even have to say these things to his father. Isn't that glorious? 
And he arose and he came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion. And he ran and he fell on his neck and he kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven. And in thy sight I am no more worthy to be called your son. And the father said, you're right. You're going to have to do such and such and this and this and that and that. Is that what it says? But the father said unto his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and let us be merry. For this my son was dead. Oh, and by the way, Christ told Israel they needed to be what? Born again. And that's what this son was happening to this son. And this, my son, was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. And they began to be merry. See, that's the attitude as Christ was talking to the publicans and the sinners. That's what he wanted to see with these people. That's the illustration Oh, for my son was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he is found and they began to be merry. Change of discourse. Uh-oh. Now his elder son was in the field and as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. Sorry, Baptist. But anyway, it's what it says. I'm just, I'm just reading from the Scripture. He heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked, What do these things mean? What's, what's meant by these things? And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf because he hath received him safe and sound. What glorious news. Pharisees, Sadducees, public. Uh, you, you need to understand what it means when these sinners come and return to God. Rejoicing. The 100th sheep has been found. The coin has been found that we search so diligently for. But verse 28, when this wasteful son had returned, when he was born again, verse 28, the older brother was what? Angry. He was angry and would not go in. No, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to go in and join the party. I want to be spoiled and stomp my little feet, and I'm just going to not be happy about this. He was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. I mean, even the father, even this son, because this son was sinning, by the way. This was, he was sinning. So just as this father ran to meet the prodigal son, he came out to meet the angry son, the, tenter, the temper tantrum throwing son. And he answering said to his father, 
Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgress I. I never sinned at any time thy commandment, yet you never gavest me a kid. Now, you need to understand, what, what had the father done? He had slaughtered the fatted calf. There's a difference between the fatted calf and a goat. And that's what the father, that's what the son's saying here. You, 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 I remember Tommy, I think of Tommy Smothers. Maybe most of you are too young to remember the Smothers brothers. But uh, Tommy Smothers used to always tell uh, his brother, Mom loved you best. And that's basically what this older son is doing. You, you, you gave him the fatty calf. You just, you've, you've not even given me a goat to kill and celebrate with my friends. Trying to lay the guilt on the father. Trying to make the father feel bad. At any time, that commandments, I didn't break them. And yet you never gave me a kid that I might make merry with my friends but as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And the father said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was fitting that we should make merry and be glad. For this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. The attitude of the father was forgiving. It was immediate. It was giving. It was let's celebrate. Let's recognize his son. Let's testify to all the friends and all the family and all the neighbors the good news that my son has returned. The attitude of the eldest. Basically, he felt that that youngest son, he was not worthy. He was accusatory. He was jealous. He was pious. He was hateful. He was blind to the fact of what had actually taken place. And folks, that was the attitude that the religious leaders had taken on. That was the point that our Lord was making in this parable in Luke 15. He was not condoning sin. He was forgiving their sin. But He was making sure they understood your attitude for the lost needs to be a desire to see them saved, not a crankiness because... They show up here. Why doesn't revival come? Well, I think it was just like here with the nation of Israel. I think too often the church has the same attitude as the eldest son. Do we really want to see the lost saved? Or we just want to preserve our comfort zone? Do we really have a desire to see an awakening 
Because that's what this nation needs, folks. All the ills, all the problems, all the troubles, all the, the things that are going on in this world that are disgusting. The only thing that's going to bring about change is the change that God can bring in an individual's heart, can make in their heart and in their life. And that's not going to happen until they hear the gospel and by faith trust Christ. And God comes into their life and He changes their life and He makes them new creations. That is the only thing that's going to change. But revival is not going to come until the church understands its calling. And I think that's why this country's in the mess that it's in today. Why no revival? I think it's because of the silence of the church. Because we don't take a stand. Because we don't speak out. Because we don't reach out. Perhaps that's all about to change. But we have to make a decision. And I'm not talking about who you're going to vote for. You probably already decided that. Amen? Now, the decision I'm talking about is so much more important. What type of church do we want to be? What type of church do we want to be? Do we want to be a church that is burdened for the lost? Our, our memory verse this morning is 1 Corinthians 15, 4. What was that verse? 1534. First, first, I knew it wasn't right. 1 Corinthians 15, 4. Awake to righteousness and sin not. For some have not the knowledge of God. And I speak this to your shame. I read that verse and there's conviction. There's conviction. May we be a faithful church. May we be a bold church. Never forgetting that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. Never forgetting that it's blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Never forgetting that it's righteousness that exalts a nation. I believe sincerely that we are at an extremely important crossroads in this nation. And I think the only thing that's going to turn this nation around is for the church to wake up, to awake to righteousness, and sin not. That's part one. Part two realize that some have not the knowledge of God. And that shouldn't be. We need to tell the world what God has done for us. But more importantly, so much more importantly, we need to tell them what Christ has done for them. We want to be a cruise ship. We want to be a battleship. I want to be a battleship, don't you? Our prayer needs to be, God bless America. Amen.
Will you pray that with me this week? Pray today. Pray all day tomorrow. Pray all day Tuesday. And by the way, don't quit praying. Just keep praying. Regardless, regardless of who wins, keep praying for your country. Stay brave. Stay awake. Stay awake.